0: Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled The Origin of Reason. Okay, we're at the point in our studies where we have seen that Eve fell, she was deceived, and Adam sinned intentionally. So now we're waiting for God to step in and do what he does. And the first thing we hear God say after Adam rebelled was not a voice raised with cursing and ranting. It was not reflective of anger and bitterness. It was a compassionate calling to a loved one. God comes seeking the one loved while the one loved is running to hide in shame. Granted, it was not to comfort and coddle the one loved, nor was it to belittle and berate him. What he said, where are you? God was fully aware of all that had transpired. He was not searching for information or explanations. He knew what had happened. He simply was calling them to come out and meet them. He was not moved by anger and wrath so much as compassion and truth. He's going to act in a righteous and a just manner. He's going to deal with the situation, and he's going to do it in a proper and just manner. We see the amazing patience of God and his limitless grace on display here. Men would have not been so merciful if history gives us any sort of proper understanding of how men respond to such things. Recall that it was supposedly compassionate crowds that screamed the loudest when Christ was being judged before Pilate. They wanted him crucified. However, it was just a few days earlier that they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. But now we see God coming as the judge. To judge. He was calling them to answer for what they had done. And this was something that could not be avoided. It couldn't be tucked away until it blew over. When he called, Adam and Eve came forward. Now, granted, Adam and Eve may not have wanted to come forward, but when God calls a man, nowhere in Scripture can we find an instance when the man called does not respond. Jonah resisted, but in the end, he came. When God calls men, they respond. Look at Paul. Look at Abraham and Jacob. Good examples. In Scripture, you find obedience when God calls. And if we debate the issue, you'll hear a lot of arguments to the contrary, saying, well, man might choose not to come. Well, that won't stand in line with what scripture teaches. When God calls a man, he comes. God's will is paramount, not man's. God called Moses to come to the burning bush. Moses came. One event that brings a great deal of attention in this particular instance is when Jesus called Lazarus to come forth from the grave. The dead rose and he came forth. John 11. The time is coming when we'll be called before God. And it's not going to be a call of anger, but it's going to be a final call. And Adam no more could have escaped God's call than you and I are able to escape God's call. Adam was able to stand up and give an account for what he had done, and that is what God requires of us. In his shame, he had tried to run and hide, but there was no hiding place. Where are you going to run from the eyes of God? Shame, guilt, pain, regret, anger, and rebellion, bitterness, angst. The list is endless of what goes on within a man. It's all part of the package. The weight of sin weighs heavy on a man's shoulders. So heavy that when the time to answer for these actions come, we're told that men will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us, in Luke 23. Facing up to our sin is not something we want to do. Al Capone. He didn't willingly submit to Eliot Ness for his sinful ways. He resisted. Bernie Madoff. He didn't run to the courts and confess that he was a fraud. He tried his best to hide what he was doing. When he was caught, the court called, and he came forth. Even then... He fought, but he lost, as did Al Capone, and as did Adam. Regardless, the just judge will not be swayed. His compassion doesn't change, and his love for Adam was unmoved. It was fixed. The issue of his love for Adam was never in question. He loved Adam and Eve. His love brought him to the garden in order to address Adam and Eve. Even with love as a driving force, God's truth is paramount. It comes first. God did say... That the day you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. And he's going to bear out what he said he'd do. His word is true and he will not deviate from it. Not from all the evidence that we have before us. He had clearly instructed Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Genesis 2.17. Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now the lesson comes in. Prepare for the judgment that is to come. Because it's coming. It is coming. God will not ignore and overlook these things. But still, he has more to say. Don't ignore the love of God. Don't ignore it and don't ever put it out of mind. The devil wants us to see God as a wrathful God, throwing lightning bolts down to the earth. And that's never portrayed here. Habakkuk prayed, "O oh Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk 3.2. And God answered that prayer favorably. There's always hope. The judge begins to ask and to probe, and clarity must be given, but not for this particular judge. He already saw things clearly. But he did say, who told you that you were naked? And questions were asked directly to the defendant. An opportunity for explanation was given. The response reveals a great deal to the attitude and the character of the individual, something of the concern and realization of the gravity of the situation. That woman, uh, the one you gave me, he says, that's the response. Sin had not just been committed, it had infected the entire way of thinking. The character and the attitude, the reasoning, the thought, the intent, everything had been ruined. It had been tainted completely. How could man have become so insolent in just such a short period of time? After one incident, dare the creature point to the creator and accuse him? It doesn't make sense. Here we see the profound nature of sin. It causes man... It causes you and me to run from God, not just with our feet, but in our reasoning. With all of our being, we run from God. We do not want him near us or around us. That constant watching, that constant gaze is an obsessive and an obnoxious thing. I'm not going to have it. Sin moves very quickly within the heart of a man. The lies replace truth. Blasphemy brings despair. Sin attracts sin. It builds. The sinful man would rather accuse God than admit his failure, return, and be restored and forgiven man loves sin. He loves darkness rather than light. The heart grows cold and hard, and it does so so quickly. Adam could easily have said, Lord, I sinned. I blew it. I did wrong. But instead, he'd have none of this. He chose to cast aspersions on the very character of God. Hey, this was your doing is what he was saying. This is the result of something you did, and now you're trying to make me the scapegoat. Am I to bear the weight of responsibility for something you did? You're the one that gave me this woman and she's the one that gave me something to eat. You're trying to clear your own conscience by bringing my actions into question. It was the fault of that woman and that woman was your doing. Did you give her to me? You did. Oh yeah, you remember? So back off. But the judge is unmoved. He looks over to the woman. He's not hoping for anything different and he's given an opportunity perhaps. What have you done? He asks. Well, The snake. But note here that both Adam and Eve admitted they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They did not deny that. They acknowledged the obvious. There was no confession though. It was an agreement with an action. And there was a response of trying to shift the blame. There was no admission of guilt. Both were denying their guilt based on the circumstances involved. Does it sound familiar? It should, it happens all the time. They admitted the facts, but they denied the guilt based on their circumstances. And when you do this, you're blaming either God or the devil for what you have done. The devil tempts, but you're the one that grabs it. You're the one that's ultimately responsible. Both efforts of Adam and Eve were to hide and to escape and deny the results and the consequences of the sin committed. That's what we tend to do. That is the heart of man. See also that God is being gracious to both Adam and Eve. It could have all been over. And yet he comes, approaches them, and gives them an opportunity to explain. Death could have ended the entire scene and the book would have been closed. But God came calling. Sin blinded both of them, even this, that God came when he didn't have to come. Blindness of this nature, spiritual blindness, is our fault. We want to blame Satan. He's the one that tempted, but we're the ones that grabbed it. You and I have chosen to do and to be what we are. And we live by those choices and we suffer the consequences. It's not the result of something someone else did or someone else has done something to us. It's a personal issue, a heart problem within us. We are sinners by choice, and our actions are a result of the choices we have made. But God must be just. This is his character. And he does not depart from his attributes. He never changes. There's no shadow of turning with him. He stays the same. He's just. He's loving. He's good. He issues a verdict. That's what we have to be aware of, and that's our prayer. Then we come to the trial and the explanations that are given and the verdicts that are applied to each one. And we'll look at these in our next study as we continue to look into the origins of reason. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, being with us in this study. Your participation is well appreciated, and I hope you receive something of benefit. Come back next week and be with us as we study again the origin of reason.